1: Putting on a business suit doesn't make you a professional any more than putting on a pair of Jordans will make you a basketball player. It's showing up every single time and doing the work that discipline. That's what separates the professionals from the amateurs. And that's why there are so many amateurs with so few professionals.
0: This is your kick-ass life podcast, episode number 368 with guest Dre Baldwin. This is
2: the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen. A no BS guide to self help and badassery. Because, ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy,
0: Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you are here. I have a fantastic conversation coming up with our guest, but first I wanted to let you know that next week we are taking the week off from the podcast. I'm taking the week off, my team is taking the week off, and rest assured, we will be back that first week of 2021, and I hope that you are also able to have a restful end of the year. I also wanted to mention that coming up sometime in quarter one of 2021, I'm going to put out an episode that is about my own Trauma healing and my own trauma therapy. I don't know if it's going to be solo. I might bring on one of my very dear friends who has kind of been on this journey with me, at least, you know, me talking to them about it. And I do these types of things to show transparency to show you that how, you know how important it is to do this sort of deeper work. I'm also making this announcement now to hold myself accountable because in a few weeks <laughs> I might regret making the decision to come on as my own fear comes in and says maybe you shouldn't talk about something so deep, it's so raw and vulnerable and I think it's important as I am sitting here today it just kind of keeps tapping me on the shoulder as something that i think might be helpful for all of you and i'm going to kind of give you an outsider's perspective a peek behind the curtain if you will on what what the decision was like for me to to do that to you know how i found someone To hire the right therapist, to do other kind of um, exercises, the resistance that I had in doing some of those somatic exercises, the things that I didn't felt like they helped, the things that did help, I just I just want to sort of give you that peek, and hopefully it will help you in some own work that maybe you've been thinking about or considering or avoiding or resisting. All of those things that I do as well. So anyway. Look for that coming up in 2021, and today we're talking to Dre Baldwin. For those of you that don't know him, let me tell you a little bit about him. In just five years, Dre Baldwin went from his high school team's bench to a nine-year professional basketball career. At the same time, Dre built a content publishing empire. Blogging since 2005 and publishing videos to YouTube starting in 2006, Dre has published over 7,000 videos, with his content being viewed over 73 million times. He's given four TED Talks and authored 27 books and his daily work on your game podcast has over three million listeners So without further ado here is Dre Baldwin Dre, thank you
1: so much for being here Andrea thank you for having me I'm excited to be here
0: I like before we got started and when actually when we I've looked at your tw- your site twice you know when you we first booked this call and just before, recording, and I am so incredibly impressed at just the vast amount, the body of work that you have over the years. So you've written, am I correct that you have written like 20 something books?
1: 27, yes.
0: Oh my God. (laughs) I, I, you know, brag that I've written the three. So I'm going to start from the very beginning and ask you, how did you come to this work? Like, were you writing books from a very early age? Did something happen and kind of like catapulted into into this life of motivational speaking and helping people? Or how did you come to be the Dre you are today?
1: Yeah, to give you the short version of it, and I'm sure we'll fill in the blanks in between. Uh, I first started out, I was playing basketball. Uh, playing overseas. But the way most people came to know me uh, domestically in the United States was through YouTube. So I was putting basketball videos on YouTube before any athlete was putting any kind of workout content on the internet uh-huh. for free. We're talking 2006, 7, Okay. Eight. Yeah. So, you were so really after a, a few years YouTube. of doing that. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. So players who were watching me in these basketball drills, they started asking me just about my background. I would reply to the comments and go back and forth with them. And this is back in the days when you could have civil discourse in the comment section on YouTube. Now, that ship has sailed. But that I was having that conversation. Players started asking me about the mental side of the game. Like, Dre, why do you keep working out every day? Because sometimes I'll be a free agent. I'll be practicing in the empty gym. And they're like, well, Dre, you said you play overseas, but here you are in Miami practicing by yourself. Why do you show up every day? So I started talking discipline. Or players would ask, Dre, how can you have the same confidence in a game with all these people watching that you have in practice when nobody's watching? So I spoke about confidence. They asked, Dre, you got cut from your high school team three years straight, but you kept trying. You kept playing. Why? Mm-hmm. What was it that kept you driven? Because, listen, there are a thousand Dre Baldwins for every one LeBron James. So those of you who don't know basketball like that, <laughs> uh, you hear about the superstars who make it and everything looks perfect. But there are a thousand, every LeBron you see, there are a thousand meets. Okay? Yeah. So the players would see me and they would say, well, Dre, well, I got cut from my high school team too. Now, what kept you trying? Why'd you try the next year? So I started talking mental toughness. And then at this time, I had started to build a little bit of buzz online. Now, mind you, Andrea, this is the early days of personal branding, influencing, uh, content. We weren't even using these phrases yet. Right. We weren't even saying We were still on
0: MySpace yet. back and then.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yes. And I was, yeah, I was heavy on MySpace <laughs> back then. So the players, people started asking me, well, how do you even get started with this stuff? Or even if they want to play overseas. So I started talking personal initiative. In other words, just being a go getter, not sitting around waiting for opportunity, but going and getting it. And it also happened to be a great period of time, you know, when the internet domesticated, not domesticated, was democratized itself mm-hmm. to where all of us could just put whatever out we wanted. I found out about Kindle Direct Publishing. I said, Oh, I can just write a book and I don't need anyone to. Okay. Okay. I'll do that. So I wrote my first book, which is basically my early basketball story. It was a terribly written book. <laughs> By the but time you did there, it anyway. I, yeah. to, I did it anyway. By the time I got around, that was in 2010. So, Andrew, when I got around to doing an audio book, when I realized I can make my own audio book, and I started, and you know, when you do your own audio, you had to read your own book out loud. Right. And I'm reading through it, and I'm like, "This is horrible. <laughs> I need to redo this." So I had to. I went and rewrote the book, and I did that for maybe my first three books. But as you said, I just took initiative. I saw that it was, it was there was an opportunity, there. and my audience was so bought into me as a person. Nobody complained about the writing in that book. The only person who ever said it was terrible was me. But I went and rewrote that. And I was at the same time, I was making these basketball training programs. That's how I became an entrepreneur. I called it Hoop Handbook, like Hoop, like basketball handbook for basketball programs. And every Monday on YouTube, I would make these videos called the Weekly Motivation because players were asking about this mental stuff. So I just took one day a week and I would make a mindset video, two, three-minute video Selfie video, way before selfie videos were a thing. I did that for about 400 weeks in a row, and that's how I built the foundation of this whole, you know, work on your game philosophy. And one day, somebody left a comment on my video on YouTube, and they said, "Dre, you are, you know, you're a basketball player, and you're making all these hoop handbooks, but every Monday you're talking about mindset. So why don't you make a mental handbook?" I said, "Okay." So that became another one of my books, the Mental Handbook. So over the years, Andrea, all I've done in creating these books is just answer people's questions. That's all I do in creating content just answer the questions that people have, whether they ask it directly or I can tell that they have a question, but they don't even quite know what the question is. I just create something that answers it. So whether it's some free content, whether it's a a tweet, whether it's a book, of course, whatever it is, I'm just answering the questions that I know people have you know, people are telling me it feels like you're reading my mind. It's the highest compliment you can give me because it means I'm really tuned into my audience.
0: Yeah. Well, it sounds like you embraced your, your gifts and just really followed again, like read the room and, and know what people, right. people are really wanting. So, and I know there's so many parallels to life that there is in sports. So it seems like it was a, a pretty organic marriage. I'm I'm curious about, Mm-hmm. you know what is because you say work on your game so what is that all about and how can you know the everyday person use it somebody who maybe isn't super into basketball
1: oh absolutely well, work on your game is not even about sports you know it came from i was playing sports and the athletes kept asking me for advice and tips and help because they were watching me on youtube and one day i was in a 24-hour fitness Andrea. this is about four o'clock in the morning and I finished doing a workout, and I had my camera with me, as always. That's another another tip people can keep in mind. Nowadays, we all have cameras, yeah. right, our phones. Mm-hmm. But back then, you had to have a separate camera. And I had just finished the workout, and I was just thinking about all the questions I kept getting asked on YouTube. And I made a quick little video, just talking to the camera. This video is about two minutes long. And I said to the players out there, listen, the reason why you keep getting cut from your team, and you're not making the team, and your teammates aren't passing you the ball, is because look at where we are right now. I'm in the gym practicing you're on YouTube watching videos. So what you need to do is stop watching YouTube, stop playing Xbox, stop standing on the corner and go work on your game. And I put some other colorful language in there, but this is what people picked up on. They picked up on that work on your game phrase. And that's where I started using it. And the great thing about it is that people pretty much, you can, it's kind of self-explanatory as soon as you're here, work on your game. Okay. I get it. So people see me with the work on your game hat, when I'm walking around Miami and they're like, Oh, work on your game. I like that. So what is it about? It's about taking the mental tools necessary to succeed in the sports world, to get to that top 1% where you're a professional and getting paid to play your sport, and keep taking those same tools and applying them at work and applying those tools in life. And of course, any athletes out there, you can apply them in sports. And the four uh, basic principles, as I, I just touched on, are discipline, Show up every day and do the work. Confidence. Put yourself out there boldly and authentically. Mental toughness. Keep showing up, doing the work, putting yourself out there even when the success you've expected to achieve is yet to be achieved. And personal initiative, make things happen instead of waiting for things to happen.
0: I love those four pillars. Okay, so it's discipline, confidence, mental toughness. And then did you say personal initiative? Was that, did I I have all four? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. And so why do you think that discipline is such an important aspect of success? I'd love your thoughts on that.
1: Oh, wow. Well, discipline is the foundation. Uh Discipline is the very foundation for several reasons. Number one, a lot of people resist discipline. So coming from the sports world and being that it's competitive, because in the professional sports world, everybody can't make it. Everybody can, you know, if you pass the bar, anybody can become a lawyer. Anybody can start a podcast, for example. Anybody can start a YouTube channel. Everybody can't make the NBA. Everybody cannot play on the, the national soccer fee mm-hmm. because there's a limit to how many jobs there are. So if you want to separate yourself in the sports world, you ha- you can look at your competition, see what they're not doing and do that. And that automatically puts you ahead of most people. A lot of people don't want to be disciplined because discipline entails doing the same thing over and over again on a consistent basis with very little variance <laughs> in performance. And
0: sometimes it gets boring. And
1: yeah. <laughs> Oh, of course. And it can be extreme. It can be very tedious. It's It can be very monotonous. And this is what keeps people from getting mm-hmm. to that highest level because they're not willing to do the same things over and over again. I mean, if you think about it, whoever, wherever you're listening to this this show right now, I mean, if you open up the Apple podcast app or Spotify or you go into the Apple store or you go to McDonald's or you go to get your gas, your oil changed, Is the exact same experience over and over and over again. Now, it might not be monotonous to you because you're not doing it all the time. But for the people who work there, people who work at Apple, the engineers, it's the same stuff over and over again. At Spotify, the same stuff over McDonald's, the same process over and over again. And that's the reason why they are so successful. So the thing that I tell people about being a professional, one of the key areas of being a professional is not the performance when the lights are on. It's everything you're doing when the lights are not on, yeah. when nobody's watching, when nobody's paying attention. What I tell people about sports, is when you hear an athlete tell you that they're retiring, they're not going to play anymore, not because they got tired of the games. Right, the games are the fun part. <laughs> all right, playing, if all basketball was was playing in the games, Andrea, we wouldn't be on this call right now. Yeah. I'd be playing basketball somewhere. <laughs> because play, the games are the easiest, funnest part of being a professional athlete. The reason athletes athlete stops playing is because of everything else. The practices every day. The off-season training, the ice baths. I was gonna say
0: the sore muscles, the injuries. Yeah,
1: (laughs) exactly. Right, everything other than playing in the game. All I had to do was play in the game. We wouldn't be here right now. I'd be out there playing in the game. So, being a professional is your willingness to show up every single day and perform, regardless of how you are feeling. That's what makes you a pro. It's not about now. By the the dictionary definition, is you make money, right? You get paid. You have a, a title. You get yourself a nice suit, you got yourself a corner office, you got a business card, a nice car, all of that. Listen, what I tell people, uh, Andrew, is that putting on a business suit doesn't make you a professional any more than putting on a pair of Jordans and make you a basketball player. Mm-hmm. It's showing up every single time and doing the work that discipline. That's what separates the professionals from the amateurs. And that's why there are so many amateurs, but so few professionals. <laughs>
0: Ernan is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC.
3: I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell, Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids
2: kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom.
0: I love this and it makes me think of what you and I were chatting about before we started recording in my my former roller derby days. And and I I, I was telling you like I miss it so much. I can feel it viscerally. And I, I watch Derby on on YouTube and 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 I start thinking about going back. And the truth of it is like I don't want the discipline of having to go to practice two or three times a week and all the volunteer hours that right. we have to do for fundraising <laughs> and all of the, the other stuff because they're, they're league run. Uh, I don't want any of that. Mm. I just want to be at the bouts like where all the fame and glory is, <laughs> where it's really exactly. exciting. So I have found when I think of discipline, I, I there's a part of me that recoils a little bit because... I think like many people listening, I've spent years feeling like I need to be disciplined about things that don't really matter, which is diet culture. And that is another conversation for another time. However, now I look at it as when I think about something I want and I I have to ask myself, do I want all of the stuff that goes along with it in order to get me there? So for instance, maybe Mm -hmm. a better example than the roller derby one is like, I want to be I want to have a body that functions and works very, very well. And so now that I am 45, it's different now than it was before in terms of me working out. Like now, I mean, I'm not kidding, Dre, when I tell you, like, I hurt my shoulder taking off my sports bra not that long ago. Like I threw my back out lifting a bottle or a gallon of milk incorrectly. I'm not joking. So like I need to do these functional movements and and be strong enough to just... Mm -hmm able to pick up a gallon of milk and take off my sports bra. And so when I think about like, oh, I don't want to get on the Peloton today. I don't want to lift weights today. And I ask myself, is it more comfortable for me to, can can I survive the discomfort of having to get on the bike for 45 minutes today? Because the payoff is going to be way less injuries. I am more strong. So that, that's kind of what I weigh out. And the answer 99% of the time is, is yes. I want the thing. I don't know if I'm explaining this very well. <laughs> I want the thing over there. And it is worth the discomfort and boredom of getting on the bike for 45 minutes.
1: Yes. And you are absolutely explaining it right. And this is the, the answer. What you just said is the answer that I give when someone asks. Now, how does someone start actually being disciplined? How can someone implement discipline if they've never had it before? The answer is, what do you want strongly enough that you are willing to be disciplined? Mm-hmm. Because you can't force someone to be disciplined unless they're going to hire, unless you're going to hire a coach or you know, a drill sergeant to scream in your face. To
0: hold you accountable. You have
1: that. to still want something, right? You have to want something strong enough to implement the discipline. Because even if uh, I hook someone up with an accountability partner or you hire a coach or you sign up for some system that's going to show you exactly what to do next, you still have human will. You still have the right to not show up to your training system. Mm-hmm. You can still tell your coach, you're fired. You can still you know, not come to the gym. You can still not follow the process. So eventually it all boils down to the individual person. Do you want this outcome enough that you're willing to submit to the discipline of the process, whatever that process happens to be? Right. And as far as what you talked about, Andrea, I'm a few years younger than you. I'm 38, but I know it's to me. Now that I, I start to feel that a little aches little and bruises last a little bit longer now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's I'm running. I don't play basketball anymore. Right. So I'm, I'm running and my knees bother me just a little bit more. And I hurt my lower back the other day. I think I was just being careless doing some deadlifting. I wasn't even lifting heavy weight. You got to watch out for those I gallons of milk, back. Dre. I'm telling
0: you, like, it's not the deadlifts. <laughs> it's
1: like eight and a half pounds. Yeah, well, the, the amount of weight... The amount of weight I was lifting was about the weight of a a gallon of milk, but I think I just wasn't paying attention. I wasn't focused, and I tweaked my lower back, and it hurt hurt me to run or hurt me to get up and sit down because I wasn't paying attention. That wouldn't have happened when I was 24, but I absolutely get what you mean.
0: Okay, well, i I we talk a lot about confidence over here because I feel like it's something that you know even people who feel like they do really pretty well in life and are successful and they can still work on their confidence a little bit. So, how do you feel that discipline creates confidence?
1: Oh, man, well, discipline. Well, definition of confidence is your belief in your ability to do something. Mm-hmm. So, the common question with confidence, especially for a young athletes, is how can I be confident if I never did it before? So, number one, it's the discipline of knowing that you put it into work. When you know that you have put in the work, you have earned your right to be confident. And sometimes when I talk about this concept of confidence, especially with the way that I present myself and talk about it, some people say, well, I want to be confident, but I don't want to be arrogant. I don't want to be cocky. You know, I still want to be humble. And what I tell people is discipline, being disciplined, showing up every single day and doing the work is the most humble thing you can possibly do. Right. what better show of humility is there than you showing up every day and putting the work in in your business and your relationships and your sport and whatever you're doing because if you didn't believe you needed to get better if you didn't believe you needed to do more work you wouldn't be there. so showing up every day to practice as an athlete earns you the right to be confident so confident that some people might call you cocky once you get into the once you get into the performance Kind of like a story I tell of, of Floyd Mayweather, the boxer. Mm-hmm. He was about to fight a big prize fight one night, and the wrestler Triple H was at the fight. And the two, these two guys know each other. So Triple H gets invited back to the locker room. He's hanging with Floyd right before this huge prize fight. And, you know, Floyd fights for you know $100 million and all his belts
0: wow. on the line.
1: And Floyd is sitting there just talking, watching TV, laid out as if nothing's happening. And Triple H notices on the, there's a clock counting down in the locker room that down to about 30 minutes. And Triple H, knowing how he needs to get prepared for his performances, he says, let me get out of Floyd's way so Floyd can get himself prepared. So he excuses himself from the locker room. But Floyd says, no, you're cool. You don't need to leave. So they stay. They hang out. Then it gets down to about 10 minutes on the clock. And Triple H is like, man, I'm going to get out of here. Let me get out of your way. And Floyd kind of got a little bit annoyed with Triple H. and He said, look, man, if I'm not ready to go perform right now, nothing I'm going to do in the next 10 minutes is going to get me ready to perform. And those of you who follow boxing, uh, you know Floyd's undefeated. So whatever fight that was, he won because he had already done the work. He had already put the time in and earned his right to be confident. And the concept that I share with people when we talk confidence, Andrea, is called the super you. So the super you is not faking it till you make it, mm-hmm. which is a common concept people talk about when it comes to confidence. I, don't, I do not believe in faking it till you make it. I don't believe it's a real thing because faking it, if you tell your brain that you're faking it, your subconscious mind knows what you sure. said. You can't okay. fool your subconscious. And it it takes everything you say literally. So if you say I'm faking to be, let's say you're a boxer, I'm going to fake to be Floyd Mayweather, or you're an author, I'm going to fake to be Andrea Owens, or your brain knows that you're faking it, it knows that you're pretending it knows that at some point the jig is up, right? It knows that at midnight, like Cinderella, <laughs> you're going to go from wearing that beautiful ball gown back to the rags, right? And now you got to run home so nobody sees you. But when you decide to unlock the super you, you are still being yourself at your highest level of confidence. And that's where you can unlock the skill. And I'll give you one uh, story with that. There was a high school basketball player. He was a mediocre player. Now, basketball team has about 12 players on the team. This kid was maybe the ninth or 10th best player on the team, mediocre at best, on his best day. But this day in practice, the coach gathers everyone up and says, today, I want each one of you to show each other how you play. Instead of me, the coach, criticizing you and telling you what you do wrong. I want each one of you to show each other what you do wrong. So he goes down the line and he assigns each player to pretend to be one of their teammates all day in practice. Oof. So he's assigning you going to be him, you be him, you be him. And he tells each player, look, pay attention to the guy who's being you today. So every mistake that he's making, you know, that's what you do. And now, you know, it's not me as the coach, just trying to turn a rag on you, your own teammates telling you. So you can't think that I'm hating on you. So this player, this mediocre guy, the storyteller, he happens, just by luck of the draw, he gets assigned to be his teammate Mike. And Mike happens to be the best player on the team. Now, this guy's is the ninth or tenth best player, but his assignment, according to his coach, is to be the best player on the team. So what I ask an audience whenever I set the story up is, and I'll ask you, Andrea, how do you think he played that day in practice?
0: He probably played really, really well. And was it Michael Jordan? Was Mike Michael Jordan?
1: <laughs> no, it wasn't Just, Michael Jordan. I'm really getting into this story. Sometimes okay. I offer that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sometimes I give that disclaimer. No, not Michael Jordan. Okay, the he probably played
0: a lot better than ninth or 10th on the team.
1: Yes, he played that day the best he had ever played in his life. Better he had ever played before and better than he ever played since. And he's doing all kinds of moves, making all kinds of shots, and his teammates are looking at him like, where is this coming from? At the end of practice, his coach says to him, Man, and that's what it takes, you need to pretend to be Mike every day for the rest of your career. Hmm. And what he had tapped into was the super you. And the the point that I make with people when I tell that story is, listen, he didn't just all of a sudden develop all these skills in, in the 30 seconds that it took the coach to tell him to pretend to be Mike. He already had those abilities within him. He just needed to be given permission to step outside of who he had always been and become somebody different. And that's what the super you is about, is the permission that not someone else gives you, because this is a a 15-year-old kid being told what to do. But anyone listening, if you're 35, 55, 27, 36, you have to give yourself permission to step outside of who you've always been to this point and be that highest possible level of yourself. And the biggest challenge with this is not what anybody else is going to say or do, is what we think about ourselves, our own self-judgment. Of what we think about ourselves we step outside of that person and then what we do is we take our own self judgment and we project it onto other people oh they're going to think that but it's not really anybody else thinking about you most people don't think about other people we think about ourselves yeah but we project it onto others so that we don't have to take the responsibility of saying you know what this is what I think about me and that's what's holding me back mhm mhm
0: Oh, there were so much rich nuggets in there that I that I want to pull out. And, and I, I love the concept of the super you. And I, you know, you could you could call that your highest self. We we say that right. over here. And um, I love I thank you for that story. I love, 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 love it. So talk to us about mental toughness, which I know is is like a big part of your brand. And right. and how is that, how can mental toughness that you might use for sports, how can that apply more specifically just to life in general?
1: Mental toughness, I define it as your willingness and ability to continue being disciplined, meaning you keep showing up, doing the work, and being confident, meaning you keep putting yourself out there boldly and authentically and believing in your process, even though the success that you expected to achieve by this point has yet to be achieved. Mm -hmm. The reason why mental toughness matters so much is by this concept that I tell people that you're either going to be a story or a statistic. If anyone has ever started a business, uh, launched a podcast, uh, tried to become a, a professional in a sport, uh, you try to get a book deal, mm-hmm. how often do you hear people trot out to you and and they're trying to help you? They'll tell you something like, "Well, listen, ninety nine percent of people who get publishing deals never earn out their advances." I'm sure you heard that before, mm-hmm.
0: Andrea. Yeah, I've heard.
1: Or that they before. say, you "No, know, most, yes, yeah, most podcasts that launch." Uh, they they're dead within six months Yeah. or most people who try to make it to the NFL, 99% of them don't make it. Here's the thing. So everybody in life is going to go through some, through some shit. You either are going through some shit right now. You just finished going through some, or you're about to, right? What separates the stories from the statistics is not the fact that some people went through less shit or they went through more shit is the fact that the stories are the people who went through the shit, kept going, and then they got to the outcome. And now what do they do? They get to write a book, start a podcast, get on a stage and they get to tell you the story of how they went through the same shit that the people in the audience are going through. But I kept going, here are the techniques that I use to deal with it. And here's what happened on the other side. And that's how I'm on this stage. That's why my face is on the cover of this book. Whereas the other people, the statistics, and this is the majority of people out there, they go through the same shit that the stories go through, but something slows them down. Something stops them. Something causes them to quit something has just blocked them from getting to where they want to go. And they just become one mm-hmm. of those stats. They become the statistic of people who don't achieve that outcome, who they become the, they become the rule instead of the exception, right? So when we hear these exceptions to the rule, those are the people who get to come out and tell their story. And those are the people that we want to know about. Whereas, you know, everybody in life goes through shit. It would be great if we could hear from the failures. We could find out how they, how they fail and why they failed. But as Jim Rohn once famously <laughs> said, so. The failures don't get to give speeches because nobody wants to pay them, right? Everybody will pay the stories because they succeeded and they got to the end
0: I think, yes, yes, to everything that you're saying. And I, and I want to add an anecdote here in that, so when I work with clients, what tends to happen, and I'm sure you've heard this, having conversations with many people, and they might be telling you something and within maybe this, you know, 30 seconds of them telling you about something, there'll be one sentence that sounds a little bit different from the rest of the sentences. So they might say something like, I-, I know it was something that I was meant to do, or I know I can succeed in this. And then kind of surrounding that whole sentence are all the excuses that they have or all the reasons that it won't work. Do you know what I mean? Like, have you ever heard that before? Like, <laughs> I just, I grab onto that sentence and I'm like, and sometimes they don't even know that they said it. And the way I describe that is like, that's your essential self. Like that is your, your highest self that spit that sentence out so easily. And especially if I can see the person, like it's their, their body changes too. And, and I, and I'm telling you, like sometimes they don't even remember that they said the one thing. And I always point that out to them because like that's what I want more of. So I'll give you an example. I was talking to my literary agent a few years ago and we were he was in negotiations with my contract for my second book, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit. And he said there is there's a part in the contract that says that you get a bonus. And this is pretty standard. You get a bonus, and it wasn't like a ton of money, but still, it was, it was nice. Uh, you get a bonus if you earn out within 12 months of your book being published. So what that means is like you sell enough copies to earn out your advance, and that's what you said. You know, 99% of authors don't earn out ever. If you can do that within 12 months, then you get this bonus. He said, I tried to negotiate 24 months. And they said, no, They, it, you know, it stands at 12 months. And I said out loud, and I don't even know where it came from, I said to him, "Well, then I'm just going to have to earn out in 12 months," and and then like after it came out of my mouth, I thought to myself, "Well, that's impossible. Like nobody does that. Like that is incredibly rare." But it, I thought it was interesting that I said it without even thinking, and it and then I, I judged myself for being arrogant and like you know you should be more humble, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Guess who earned out in, t- in exactly 12 months? What's
1: my publisher offering me that?
0: Oh my God. And, and when it happened, I was just like with my mouth hanging open when my agent called me and he was like, and I don't keep track of stats as much as I should, but I was floored when he told me I I earned out. I mean, just by a hair, we made it under 12 months. And I, I tell that story because I personally have tried to to really listen to that voice, whether it's internal or it's things that I say out loud that I judge for being arrogant or bragging or impractical or impossible. And I look at that as my, is that what you called it? A super you? That's my super you. And a lot of times, you know, it's my, it's my best self. It's, it's my, my highest Version of me that really wants to come forward and, and be of service to people.
1: That's the version of each one of us, Andrea, that has been socialized out of us. Like right? when we're born as babies, we get whatever yes. we want, right? We make noise and cry until we get right. Somebody picks us Hopefully. up, change the doctor, yeah. <laughs> give us the the. The, the binky that goes in the mouth or you no, know, whatever it is that we need, blows our nose, uh-huh. whatever the situation. But then as we get older, we start to understand language, we get taught that we're not always going to get what we want. We can't always have what we want. And all these, these things, depending on the adults that you're around, everybody, adults learn these limiting beliefs and then they be, they get hardened into just strong beliefs. They get hardened into convictions. And then we pass them along to the next generation. And then you no know, people just they have these barriers built up inside of themselves and we don't even realize that these were handed to us We didn't come up with these opinions and beliefs They they were assigned to us right. by people who are just as limited or maybe even more limited than we are And we don't realize it and it's only when people get with somebody like yourself, andrea and they realize oh This was, this was taught to me. I don't have to believe this. This isn't the way that I have to live I can do something differently but the, the biggest challenge in the world these days, Andrew, is, and you know this, is that people have to seek it out. You know, It's not like you can go you know, running from person to person and tell them, hey, mm-hmm. here's a way you can look at yourself differently. They have to come looking for what you're offering. And if they're not looking for it and they're not interested, then they can live their entire lives with all this value within them that they never get out of them. And then they, as I like to say, they eventually go to the most valuable real estate on earth, which is known as the cemetery, the graveyard, because all that value is people. They never, they never get it out of them. They never Uh get the music out of them.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
3: No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week
2: to hear us talk about what no one told us. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above,
0: Okay, well, I want to shift gears slightly and ask you about uh, personal initiative. So, tell us, you know, how valuable and you know how did how did that become the fourth? Um, do you call them pillars or keys? Principles, I don't want pillars, to I don't keys, want to say the language wrong.
1: Interchangeable <laughs> Fine.
0: principles. Okay, how did that become? You know, the fourth principle um, and because and helpful this mindset to you in your stuff. Career?
1: Once people do start to get into personal development. And uh, again, I'm sure you know this. Sometimes people become what I like to call professional information gatherers. So they're just getting there, listening to another podcast. Let me read another book. Let me sign yes. up for another workshop. Let me attend another mastermind.
0: <laughs> I I talk to my audience uh, uh, on the regular about this. Yeah, I have a colleague that calls them hoarders, the hoarders of information. Yeah,
1: exactly. So it's just, they're just gathering more information. Let me get more information. Let me get more. Oh, the new show out. Let me listen to that. Oh, you wrote another book. Let me go read that. And now they got to get more information before they do anything. And all this mindset stuff is great, but you have to implement. It has to actually be used and you have to go do something with it. So the thing about me is I'm a person who I will do something be- with only 10% of the information. As long as it's something from which I can mm-hmm. recover from a mistake. Now, I wouldn't tell you to go do this. You know, If you're learning how to fly a plane, don't go do it with 10% of the information. <laughs> but if it comes to you know, writing a book or starting a blog or even starting a podcast, you can do this with only 10% of the information and you will learn along the way on top of the fact that you're going to separate yourself from 97% of the population who is either not even having information or they get so much information that they start second guessing themselves. Because the thing is, there yeah. will with so many different people offering information on the same topic. if you take in enough of it, eventually the information will start conflicting with each other. And then you're going to ask yourself, okay, well, mm-hmm. this person said this about confidence and they sound pretty good. This person said this and they wrote a book too. So which one is right? And now in your moments of Mm, indecision, trying to figure out which one to listen to, somebody else who didn't read either book is blasting past you because they just start, they just start taking action and just figuring it out along the way as they went along. And then they become an author of a book while you're waiting around trying to figure out which book to listen to. So the personal initiative is all about making things happen instead of waiting for things to happen. And all of us in life. Are going to be in situations where we don't have an in, you know, we don't have, we don't have parents who hooked us up. We don't know anybody who knows somebody. The opportunities are not coming mm. to us. They're not falling into our app. but we have value that we want to offer the world. And if you sit around waiting for someone to recognize your value, uh, you might be waiting for a long time. Like that Snickers commercial, you're not going anywhere for a while. Right. But if you go and take action <laughs> and go do something, you start generating the energy. I heard someone once say, if nobody's knocking on your door, you got to go start knocking on doors. If no one's calling your phone, you got to start ringing some phones. And one thing that I've found in my life, Andrea, and I'll be interested to hear if this has happened with you, is that when I start taking initiative, nothing's happening. And I start taking initiative and I just start doing stuff. I go send some emails. I go call some phones. I go knock on some doors. I go just start Mm -hmm. doing something. All of a sudden, now that energy starts coming back. Now my inbox starts lighting up. Now people start calling me. Now things just start happening all because I took initiative. And it sounds maybe hocus pocus like some magic stuff, but it's actually just the law of karma, which I've never heard anybody say they disagree with it, is that the energy you put out is the energy you get back. When you start taking initiative, things start happening. It's just the way that it works.
0: I agree with that. I, I also wanna I wanna add that so Dre, I think you and I are a lot alike. And yes. I am mildly obsessed with personality assessments and (laughs) one of them is the Colby index. And I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it it breaks you up into like four kind of personalities and, and you sound like you're a quick start like me. Um, and (laughs) I just think it comes naturally to some people just to like, we just take action like all, and it's interesting in, you know, as entrepreneurs, I am, I'm close with someone who has just started a business and this person, you know, I'm like encouraging them to take action and, and, and they're, they're overthinking everything and analyzing and planning and prepping and prepping some more. And I'm like, Oh my God, just take action. But it's, it's in talking to this person more, it's interesting because I like to take action and then learn my lessons retrospectively. And this person likes to learn their lessons prospectively. And it's just Mm -hmm. their personality. So I found what's helpful is as I'm helping this person is to say, I love that about you. And I don't want you to change your personality. And at the same time, we need to find a happy balance and medium for you to take action on this, or it's genuinely not going to work. I honestly feel like that statistic about how businesses fail is probably has a lot to do with people who just naturally aren't quick starts and they don't find accountability and encouragement and support to take action because it's just not inherent to them. So I say all that not to give people listening an out. And not to disagree with you, Dre, because I totally agree with you, but just, you know, for people who don't feel like that's their inherent personality, you have got to get support. That might look like a peer mastermind that, you know, it's just like a gathering of friends where you hold each other accountable. Maybe they hire a coach. Maybe they, you know, some people are motivated through like competitions, you know, within their family or something like that. But there are ways for you to create some kind of way that personal initiative does work for you
1: absolutely and i'm glad that you said that because in life sometimes we have to fill in the gaps like none of us is perfect at everything yeah. so people like you and i mm-hmm. who are quick starts, we need people around us who are planners who are people who like to strategize and lay yes. things out and <laughs> right and make Cause we'll fly by the seat of
0: our pants all day
1: exactly exactly <laughs> we'll just keep doing stuff and figure it out along the way and the thing is If you're a hustler, you work hard enough and you have some talent and some intelligence and maybe some luck, you can actually get results doing it just like that. But eventually you're going to get to a point where you're like, okay, I need to actually strategize and put a plan together so I know what the hell I'm doing. And then there are people on the other side who are more of the planning and strategizing. Let me get everything right before I start. They need to be balanced out with someone who's like, okay, let's go do something. Let's go take some action here. So Mm -hmm. in life, none of us is no perfect, perfectly well-rounded. Everybody. It needs something. Every team needs a, like on a a sports team, Team. you got the shooters who score all the points and you got the rebounders who grab the rebounds, the defenders who, you know, play defense. They don't score much. You got the guy sitting on the bench who never get in the game, but everybody has a role. Every team has a role. So Mm -hmm. even in your derby days, I don't know what a team is in derby, but I'm sure everybody had a role. There's some people who do one thing. Everybody had a role. Yeah, Exactly.
0: I mostly fell down. That was my role.
1: <laughs> <laughs> sure Try not down to get much. run over.
0: No, I'm <laughs> kidding. I didn't fall down as you know, it was pretty much the same. But yes, I love that analogy. That's so perfect. Mm-hmm. I want before we wrap up, I want to ask you one more question. And that's what is the most valuable thing that people get from you? The
1: Most valuable thing, and I'm glad you asked this. The most valuable thing people get from me is they know that I'm gonna keep it real I'm gonna tell them exactly how I see things. And while they may not always agree, they will respect it because I can. I know how to let people know this is what I see and I'm also gonna tell them why. I'm gonna build a case for why I see things this way. This is where I'm getting this perspective from because I'm seeing this, this, and this. And because of these things, I'm gonna connect it to this, this, and this. So people know they're gonna get the honest uh, perspective from me. They know I'm not gonna uh, give them any bullshit. I'm not going to say something just because I think somebody might be pissed off by it or that I feel like I need to please a certain audience. And these days, Andrea, with so many, you know, quote unquote, influencers, so many authors, so many podcasts, so many people starting businesses and just wanting to get their name and their likeness and their information out there, some of them actually trying to help, some of them just trying to boost their ego. Uh, one of the main things people need these days is authenticity. We have all Mm -hmm. been conditioned unconsciously because we're on these phones all day, on the internet all day. We have all been conditioned to be experts at identifying bullshit so easily and so quickly. We can see through somebody who's not being real. We can see through when somebody posts something, you can tell without even thinking if it's an advertisement or is an actual, just a regular post. You can tell, everybody can. Even people who don't even study this stuff because we are we look at a thousand posts a day. You look at a thousand of anything a day, you're going to get really good at identifying, you know, one part from another part. So that authenticity is what people want from me and they are either looking to hear the truth about themselves or they want to learn how they can tap into more of their own authenticity. That's what they come to me for.
0: I love that so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And I just want to tell everybody your website is dreallday.com. And of course those links are in the show notes. Where do you want to send people? Is there somewhere else? Like do you mostly hang out on YouTube or Instagram? Where can people go to get more of you besides dreallday.com?
1: Uh, well, I'm on all of the social media platforms. The place I hang out the most where people can you know, write to me and I'll write back and all that is definitely Instagram right now. So my Instagram is at, Dre Baldwin, one word.
0: At Dre Baldwin on Instagram. Thank you so much. I've loved this conversation. And and I I was able to totally follow, even though I don't know uh, basketball that much. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, thank you. And everybody listening, thank you for your time today. You know how valuable I, I think that your time is. So thank you. And remember, it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye, everybody.